Pastor John Ortberg, he was pastoring one of the large churches in the Chicago land in Chicago, Illinois, and um, he was feeling the rush of pastoring in one of the largest churches in America, so he reached out to his spiritual mentor, Dallas Willard, and he reached out with this question, what do I need to do to become the me that I want to be? It's a good question. It's kind of a New Year's question almost, isn't it? What do I need to do to become the me I want to be? John writes, there was a long silence on the other end of the phone, and he said, whenever you talk to Dallas, there was often a long silence. And then Dallas replied, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John said, I scribbled that down as fast as I could and said, then what? After a long silence, Willard said again, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been listening to the reality and, and confessing the reality that we are in a world that loves speed, that likes to hurry, and yet the scriptures constantly speak to us, call to us to live at a different pace. I want to take you to the words of Paul found in the writings of Galatians. He writes to the church in a, a city, a, a region called Galatia, and he writes to the church in Boise these same words. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Let's read them out loud together. We'll put it up on the screen. Can we get Galatians 5 up there? There we go. Ready? On your mark, get set. Read with me. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, they will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice it's not love, joy, peace, hurry. Love, joy, peace, speed. Love, joy, peace, patience. Last week, if you were here, one of the action steps was to take that, that wedding passage we hear over and over again, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, was to take part of that chapter and read it daily if possible. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not boastful. Love is patient. And the challenge of what it means to live in a world that's not very patient. We've confessed our hurry sickness. But if you were born before the late 90s, okay, before the late 90s, let me ask, do you remember boredom? I mean, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about because boredom hasn't existed since we got one of these, right? Boredom, we've had the world at our fingertips for a lifetime. You think boredom, is that like when there's no Wi-Fi? <laughs> boredom. I mean, if you were born after 1995, you can't remember a time where this, the world, was not at our fingertips, but the rest of us can. I watched a family the other day getting on the plane. I was headed back to Boise, and, and I'd already sat down, and a family got on, and the kid was about nine or 10, and she got on, and she passed us, and she looked at the seat, and she looked at her dad and went, 
there's no screen. <laughs> and literally, like, dumbfounded, she said, what are we going to do? Dad, there's no screen. Did you know there was no screen on this plane? See, there was a time where many of us would get on a plane when there was no screen. We'd take a book and we'd read the book and sometimes over aisle we would finish the book and then we'd look out the window or sit quietly or hope there was a sky mall. And if you don't know what that is, ask your grandparents. So <laughs> there was a time where before this, we would go to get coffee and we'd stand in line and we would just stand in line. And maybe the extroverts around you would say, hey, did you watch the Boise State game? And if you were an introvert, you're thinking, why is a stranger talking to me? And we would stand in line and just wait. If you remember boredom, I mean, now we watch TV while playing a game, scrolling videos, and texting our friends. We aren't present anywhere we're present. It's hard to be present. I mean, how many times have you been with your loved ones or your best friend out to dinner and they're here? And you're like, we're out, we're, we're out to dinner. Or maybe you're with your family on Thanksgiving and you have to say, we're all going to put these away. We're going to turn them off. We're going to put them in a basket. We'll give them back. But we want to be present. Andrew Sullivan wrote a book, a manifesto really, he called for silence in an age of noise. And he says these words. He said, there are books to be read, landscapes to be walked, friends, friends to be friends with, life to be fully lived. This new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. He goes on to say, it is a threat to our souls. Well, what's the solution to a hurried life, a distracted life? Here's the question. What if we became followers of Jesus. I mean, what if we imitated with our lives what Jesus did in his life? What if for the next four weeks we looked at the practices of Jesus? Now the practices, the old word for the practices of Jesus would be a discipline, which doesn't sound very exciting. Maybe you want to call it a spiritual discipline or a spiritual habit. Wesley called them the means of grace. Now let me define it for you. A discipline is any activity I can do by direct effort that will eventually enable me to do that which currently I cannot do by direct effort. Now, you might be thinking, I need another cup of coffee. What? So it's like this. Um, about 15 years ago, two of my friends that worked out with me at the YMCA said, let's start running. And my first thought was, Why? Right, like who, who's, who's going to chase us? I mean, why, why would we run? And they said, no, no, because we, we're getting older. We need to do something. We need to keep moving. Let's work on our fitness. Let's start running. Let's, let's work, work up to running like a 5K. And I'm like, okay. Um, all right, so we set out, and they're like, you got to start where you can. I, I was not a runner at all, had never been a runner. And so they were like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run for two minutes. And then we're going to walk for a minute. 
And at first I'm thinking, who can't run for two minutes? Two minutes is a long time. <laughs> it was a long time. I could not wait for that beep to go off. And then we would walk, and a minute's very short. <laughs> and then we'd run another two minutes, and then we'd walk a minute. And then we'd run another two minutes, and then we'd walk a minute. So this took, this took seasons. This did not happen overnight. And I can remember for like months thinking, when, will I, when can I breathe? Like, when does my breath kick in? Because even after we would extend the running, I would still think, I, I can't breathe. And then eventually, eventually, the breathing kicked in. Now, if you follow me on social media, you'll notice on Mondays and Fridays, I typically run. And I, I run anywhere from 8 to 12 miles on those days. Not fast, but I run. But I couldn't do that without the habit of starting for two minutes and the years of constant running. It's the constant running that allows me to take a couple weeks off and then still go run eight miles. It's the constant running. So hear the definition again. A discipline is any activity I can do by direct effort that will eventually enable me to do that which currently I cannot do by direct effort. So it's, it's one of the things where you go, I, I'm not good at this, so I'm gonna try it so eventually, it will become normative to me. So here's the truth about Jesus. Jesus never commanded us to get up early in the morning and have a quiet time. Jesus never commanded us to read our Bible. Jesus never even commanded us to go to worship. But Jesus did those things. They were integrated into his life. These are the core practices of his life. What would it mean to live the way of Jesus? This is Luke chapter six. Jesus is speaking to the crowd. He says, why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir. And that's right, sir, but you never do a thing I tell you. These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard, standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. The old translations say, why do you call me Lord and never do what I say? How did Jesus live? So one of the first practices we want to look at comes from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus has been headed out into the wilderness. He, he meets a guy who's in need of healing, has leprosy, his body's covered. He falls to the ground, says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reaches out and says, I am willing, touches him, be clean. And then immediately the text says after that, but Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places where he prayed. Jesus often withdrew. A friend of mine used to say, Jesus went apart so he didn't come apart. He often withdrew to the lonely places. Now this is not an isolated response for Jesus. According to Matthew, the first thing that happens after Jesus' baptism, you know, he goes down into the water, he comes up out of the water, the dove like above me, the dive bombing dove, this Holy Spirit dove comes down and as the Spirit comes down, Jesus hears the voice of his Father, this is my son, I love you, I'm pleased with you. And the very next line, Matthew chapter four, verse one, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. The word translated wilderness, the word translated lonely places from the Greek is eremos. It, 
it has a, a variety of meanings. It can mean desert, deserted place, quiet place, lonely place, wilderness. And Jesus is often seeking the Uramos, the quiet place, the lonely place. In the first story in Matthew, right after baptism, when he's led by the Spirit, he's led into the Uramos, into the wilderness, a lonely place for 40 days and for 40 nights. We, we struggle to find 40 minutes, 40 seconds. For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is in the lonely place. Wow. And when he's finished his time, that's, that's when temptation comes. And for years, I would read that text and think Jesus is at his weakness, but really, he's at his strength. 40 days listening to God, 40 days listening to his soul, 40 days, when the devil comes and says, why don't you do this, I can give you the, he's not tempted because he's secure in who he is and whose he is. Silence. Even though it's Jesus' habit to seek the Uremo, silence and solitude, even for Jesus, it doesn't always work. I mean, sometimes life happens. In the gospel of Mark chapter six, Jesus just received news that his cousin John, the baptizer, has been violently murdered. We're not the only ones that deal with violence. Cousin violently murdered by the state, and Jesus says in verse 31, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place, the Ramos. Let's rest a while. He said this, this text says, because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. There are stages of life where you think, Pastor, don't ask me to do one more thing. I, I can't keep up with life now. I barely got in the door of the church this morning and now you're gonna ask me to do one more thing? Even Jesus at times struggled to eat. So he says, let's go off to a quiet place. They head out in the boat, but the crowd starts to follow Jesus. And they can see him from the shore, and they can kind of tell where he's going. And so they follow him. They get to where he's going before he does. They get to this edge of the shore. Jesus gets out of the boat, and he, instead of getting to the quiet place, he has mercy and compassion on the crowd. And he deals with them. I mean, sometimes you and I, we seek the quiet place and then life happens, people happen. We set off for worship, we get ready to serve someone else, we get a text from the kids or the neighbor or our parents, there's a crisis and we Google urgent care, closest urgent care. It's life. In our hurried, distracted lives, may we find a way to seek the quiet, the lonely places. So the action step for this week is silence and solitude. Silence. I, this is a hard one for me. I like noise. I seldom am in the car where I don't have something on. I'm seldom even on a run without headphones pounding something into my head. I like noise. I go to sleep with a TV on. I like noise. I wake up, I turn the TV on. I turn music on when I'm studying. I like noise. So seeking quiet is hard in our world. Here's an interesting trick. 
Sometimes put your headphones on. Because people don't tend to bother you if you got the big headphones on. And don't play anything. Silence. They'll think you're listening to something. There's two types of, or two dimensions to silence. There's internal silence and external silence. We live in a very noisy world, but we can control a lot of the external. We can turn off our phone. We can silence our phone. We can turn off Alexa. We can stop the noise to the best of our ability. No kid screaming baby shark in the background, you know. <laughs> we can silence. African theologian and Saint Augustine said this about entering the silence. Entering silence, he said, is entering into joy. For some of us, that's not true yet. It's scary, it's unnerving, it's confusing. And that's probably the internal challenge. Because the internal challenge sometimes for us is, is we start to be quiet and then the thought monkeys show up and start to carry us off, right? I'm gonna have a quiet time with God. I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna listen. And then you're like, what do we need from the grocery store? Did I take the laundry out? Did I put it in the dryer? I mean, all of a sudden, you know, you're like, whoa, wait, no, I'm back. I gotta, it's okay, it's okay. That's part of learning silence. C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters that he wrote so, so well, he has the demons railing against silence as a danger to the cause and the senior, senior demon screw tape calls the devil's realm a kingdom of noise. John Clackamas was a sixth century monk. He spent most of his life praying, praying on Mount Sinai and he wrote, the friend of silence draws near to God. I don't know if this is true, but it hit me as I read that quote this week. Have I ever been in the midst of great noise and thought, I feel close to God? Great music, yes. Great noise, it's distracting. Internal silence is tough. Maybe to create this internal silence, you, maybe you start like I did with running. Maybe you go, I'm gonna set a timer for two minutes. And for two minutes, I'm gonna seek some silence and it'll be a long two minutes, you know, for a while at first. And maybe you have to even just focus on your breathing for two minutes. As you breathe in, maybe you'll just say, grace. And maybe as you exhale, you'll say, tension, frustration, I'm gonna let it go. And maybe you just sit in silence for 30 seconds. The goal of silence is to be able to hear your soul, your heart. What is it that God wants to say to you? How does God want to tell you that God loves you? How does God want to tell you that God's created you to help others know the love of God? Solitude's the other side of this. Solitude, not isolation. Isolation's punishment. Go to your room, that's, that's isolation. Solitude is where I'm alone with God. Richard Foster says, loneliness is an inner emptiness. Solitude is an inner fulfillment. I was reading multiple books on silence this week and trying to learn this practice my life and I was reminded of Richard Rohr's thoughts. I don't know if you father, follow 
Father Richard Rohr at all, but if you haven't, Google his name. He puts out a daily meditation that's beautiful. He's a Catholic priest. And, and Father Richard Rohr said years ago, someone taught him that one of the amazing things about our lives is that the very first breath we take is a prayer. And the very last breath we take is a prayer. And he said, it's not a Christian prayer or a Muslim prayer or Jewish prayer, it's just a prayer. You say, well, how'd you get that? He says, with every breath we take as we inhale, almost a yah, and as we exhale, way, the name of God is spoken. Regardless of who we are, regardless of our theology, regardless of who we vote for on Tuesday, regardless of what we think about politics, God is in every breath. Wow. This week, as we seek to live like Jesus, might we seek to find some silence? Start where you can. Pray with me. God, thank you for the privilege of worship today. We, we do come kind of in a, an awkward moment where we lament the fact of gun violence in our world. We come in an awkward moment where we remember those who have passed this year. And yet you call us to a place of silence. Perhaps the silence can speak, maybe can speak to our hearts and remind us of your presence. Maybe it can speak to our lives and remind us of your call. Maybe it can speak to your love and remind us we are not alone. Thank you, God, that you are present in the silence. It's in the name of Jesus the Christ we pray. Amen. 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 